Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Nice to see you. Nice to be with you. Um, it was lovely to be here yesterday morning and to just witness everything that was going on. I hope I wasn't going to get mixed up uh, today because I went from there, Stephen's retirement, uh, last night to the anniversary of another one of our churches, Newton Arts Baptist, and they were celebrating 100 years. Uh, and I didn't want to come this morning, get those two mixed up, and, and wish Stephen a happy 100th birthday. <laughs> um, and commiserate with the church that was retiring in Newton Ards after 35 years of ministry. So, but it was lovely to be there. And in a strange wonder in the way that God works, the, the Lord had led in my heart uh, Sam, or Philippians chapter 2. And then David McMillan got up yesterday and started to preach from Philippians 2, and I thought, oh. But it turned out he has set the, uh, the, the, the grounding of it, and that's wonderful, and hopefully this dovetails in. So if you're out yesterday, um, hopefully this will, will, will take on to a different level. But let me first of all thank you on behalf of our association. I, I'm sure you're aware of it, but if you're not, you're part of 119 churches in the whole of Ireland who are part of our association. We came out of the, the Baptist Union of Great Britain and Ireland in 1895 and became the Baptist Union of Ireland and only in recent years changed to the Association of Baptist Churches uh, here in Ireland. So I bring you greetings and a special greetings to, to Marie and Stephen on their retirement. And I want to thank you as a church for giving Stephen to us, the association. He's been involved in many committees many helps, many conferences over all of those years. And that's because you have given him to us and we have helped each other. And so Stephen, thank you for being willing to do that and being part of our association and being president in 2010 uh, as well and getting uh, the opportunity there to, to visit others and be involved in things. And while we're all independent churches, we are interdependent. So you have 118 other churches that work with you and pray for you and hopefully you do the same for them and together we have our college we have our missions where we go into four countries in the world ireland france spain and peru and we've been in peru for 90 almost 96 years serving the lord there and that's a drawing back now of the missionaries because the locals have taken over many of the areas, but there's still a large and strong connection with the seminary between the Irish Baptist College and the seminary in a place called Tacna uh, in southwest Peru. So thank you for your support, prayerful above all things, practical giving in so many other ways. It's been wonderful. And I just want to thank you on behalf of the association. We have a women's work and a youth work as well. And of course the college which trains uh, the college began in Dublin, by the way, in 1892, uh, and then moved north somewhere over those years. Um, and now, since that, 1,000 people have gone through that college and been sent out to mission or to pastor uh, all over the globe. And only God knows what he has done through that. But just following on from, from yesterday and what, what David was saying, I'm not going to give you the setting of, of Philippi, it's found there in Acts 16. You can read about that and the, the preceding parts as to how the Apostle Paul and those who were with him got to this place called Philippi. But sometime later, <clears throat> he's writing a thank you letter. Epaphroditus 
A man called Epaphroditus, as you can read in the, the next section, has come with a gift from the church at Philippi uh, to Paul, or the gift rather, uh, to Paul. And he's writing to the church to say, thank you for the gift. And then he's going to send Epaphroditus back again to the Philippians. But as he's writing in chapter 2, he's, he's writing something that, that is increasing, and Michael has touched on it already, a portion that increases more and more every time you read it. And I reckon when Paul was writing that section all about the Lord Jesus, he was probably in tears because he knew the precious nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he writes about that name that is above every name. A lot of these theologians, most of them, believe that name is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And in our versions, we have it in lower case after the capital L. It's written in the Greek. It's kurios. Um, but the belief is that it came from God's own special name that was given to Moses way back in the book of Exodus. And there it's written or unwritten, depending on how you want to see that, by the, the Jewish people. If we were looking at it through their eyes uh, from English writing, we would have Y-H-W-H. And you can't pronounce that really. It's, some people say Yahweh. But this unpronounceable name, it's a name that shouldn't be pronounced in their understanding because God is so sovereign. God is great over everything. There is no one as great as God, so much so that we can't even say His name. When you go into the, the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, you find that is translated as Lord. And if you're looking and you read Psalm 19, you'll find that there are capital letters, Lord, the personal name of God. And most people believe that that's the name that is carried across. Jesus Christ is there. And the world knows that when they saw Him on the planet, when Paul met Him, in different circumstances. Paul was seeing God. And the people who watched him and rejected and rebelled against him and others who listened to his teaching and followed what he said and, and wept when he died on the cross and rejoiced when he rose from the dead saw God. Jesus Christ is God. He is Lord. And I don't think Paul ever wants us to forget who Jesus is really, really is. And I'm only stumbling through those things at the moment. You can, you can go back over that and read it for yourself. But it really came to my attention on Friday evening. Uh, Barbara and I were at an event uh, in Belfast on Friday evening. And it was connected with a, a singer, a songwriter that, that we both like. Uh, and things had been brought around that. And we went off and we, we listened and we watched. Uh, unknown to us, a lot of the program that we saw had taken the name of Jesus Christ in vain. It was mentioned so many times. And it was awful. And, and I, we both thought halfway through, should we just get up and leave? Uh, and we, we didn't do that. We weren't sure what to do. But we listened on because sometimes you can learn a lot about people. And as we watched and listened, and there were more 
blasphemous statements about the Lord Jesus. It was interesting when it came right to the end because coming close to the finale, there was a guy closing the story. And what he said was that all the people that you've been watching tonight, all the characters, basically didn't really go anywhere in life apart from to death. It was so depressing. But interesting, the last song that was sung was taken from Philippians chapter 3, really, in verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. They didn't mention the name of, of Christ Jesus, but it was I press, I'm pressing on for the, the upward call of God. And you could see, I don't know if the writer meant that or he stumbled across it, but what he was saying, as I understood it, was that nobody wants to know Jesus Christ as Lord. But there comes a time in their lives when they will need Him. And there's this almost desperate grasp from people who have lived their lives without Christ, needing Christ, but not sure what to do about it. And here Paul is writing as someone who is writing to a church and encouraging them to know Jesus Christ more. He says that of himself as well. He says that I want to know more of him. And he's been 30 years a Christian. You think how long the church has been here. If you've been here those 35 years, I'm sure not many of you have. But most of that time, this man has been a follower of Jesus. He's been getting to know Jesus, and yet Jesus still fills his horizon every day. He wants to know more of this wonderful person. Surely God wants us to continue and to know more of this wonderful person who is Lord of all. Jesus, Savior, Christ the King, is Lord God Almighty. And the reason I highlight that is because of the next section. Therefore, in verse 12, we're told, Remember a preacher telling us, it might have been one of the pastor's conferences, Stephen, if you can remember that, I'm not sure. He said, when you come across the word therefore, ask what it's there for. Well, it's there for because of that situation we've just been reading. Paul has been exalting Christ, and he wants others to know who this person really is. He is God. Therefore, in the light of who he is, my beloved, my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, you're called to live in the light of who He is. And that's exactly the same here in Dundalk as anywhere. And I've got three simple headings to leave with you this morning. I'm not going to develop them too much. We need space to grow, and we're given it. We need a life to show, and we need truth to know. Space to grow, verse uh, 13. Paul says, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good purpose. And before that, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I think many people maybe still think that's a case of, oh, that's the bit we have to do. 
work out your salvation. Does the Bible not teach that? No. It's saying now that you are a Christian, now that you have bowed the knee in life to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have to live that out. And God will work in you to do that. He tells us that in chapter 1, verse 6. God who began a work in you will carry that work on to completion. Now work it out in your daily life with fear and trembling. Does that mean being frightened? No. In reverence and awe of who this God is. Jesus Christ is the Lord. And he says, do it when I'm there, do it when I'm not there. Because God's working in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Another interpretation there for His good purpose. God works according to purpose. You know, one of the greatest men in history who was working out problems was Albert Einstein. And Albert Einstein, way back in time, said something like this. And he was writing a book at the time, and he said these words. He said, our situation on this earth seems strange. Every one of us appears here involuntarily and uninvited for a short stay without knowing the whys and the wherefore. Our situation on this earth seems strange. Every one of us appears here involuntarily and uninvited for a short stay without knowing the whys and the wherefore. He couldn't figure that one out. And yet, the answer is in the Bible. We live and we serve and we work under a God of great purpose. One of the greatest challenges to the gospel today, and there are many challenges to the gospel, by the way, is, is embracing people who's, who are finding meaninglessness in life and are so absorbed by that. Their life is so dead, so dark, that they can't see any meaning and purpose to life. And you probably wouldn't be the first church or first group of people to know someone in the last six months, for example, who's taken their own life because their life has come to a point of what is the purpose? And we're increasingly facing that day in and day out. Great waves of people are moving in all sorts of directions, mostly against the Christian things, and one of those things you were praying for this morning. And yet if you took each one of those as individuals, and they are individuals, Say, what's, what's your purpose in life? Why do you exist? No, I, no idea. The world teaches us everything about how we should live and what group we should live with and how we should move forward together, but it doesn't teach us why we're here. Actually, it teaches the opposite. We're random beings. And yet we serve a living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself made us for himself. We are creatures to worship God. We are creatures to know God. 
We are creatures to walk with God. We are creatures to serve God. And know His presence in our life. Know His joy, His peace, His guidance, His comfort, His strength, everything that He has for us as we walk with Him. That's why one of those uh, sayings that we mentioned earlier could be repeated often, I want to know Him. Says Paul, who cries out, he wants more of Jesus every day. But as he teaches, he's teaching purpose and a God of purpose. Many of us have quoted Romans 8 28. God works all things together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose. Whenever someone comes to Christ, they're coming into the stream that God has given of living life that gives them a life that even when this life is over and, and chapter one closes, the rest of the book never has an ending. We need to come to the Lord. And the Lord gives us that space to grow. And that's what Paul's saying there. I want you to stop. I want you to listen. I want you to think. I want you to live. I want you to learn. Not just when I'm with you, but when I have gone from you, he says, that the salvation that God has given you can be outworked in your life because you are now a person of purpose. One of the greatest encouraging verses in the Bible, also under the writing of Paul, is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. That this God, long before we were born, actually had a work for us to do or works for us to do. And we are brought and set apart in life to do those works as we serve the living God. What, I, what I'm simply saying there is that, that we can grow in Christ Jesus according to His purpose when the world around us is still searching for meaning. And it doesn't matter what religious direction you go or non-religious, The only answer is coming to know the Lord. And that's an exclusive gospel, by the way. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to talk about the exclusive gospel, different from every other religion on the face of the planet. Why was it exclusive? Because in the true Christian gospel, we don't reach up to God. God reaches down to us and brings purpose and meaning and hope and help into our lives. And he's saying, now that you've got that, now that you've got a purpose in your life, let's move forward. You've got a life to show. Look at 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Uh, David touched on this yesterday about the life that we live before people. Because quite often people read us before they listen to us. They want to know what we think about them before we have to share something with them. And to take one of those words, for example, blameless, doesn't mean that we have to be totally sinless because we can't be totally sinless. There's only one who is sinless. But he dwells within us. And as far as it is on our 
walk with God, that we keep ourselves pure and unholy and walking with Him in fellowship day by day as children of God. Because people want to see the life that we have. But I want to move on from that to the second part of that. God has placed His people whether the persecuted people that we've been praying for this morning or people in the church who are going through difficult things or churches together, we are placed in a world that is crooked and perverse. And in fact, Paul uses a very interesting phrase here. He said, I've placed you, God has placed us in the midst of it, right in the center of the storm. That we might shine like stars in the darkest place. You ever think about why Dundalk Baptist Church exists? And did you ever think where Dundalk Baptist Church exists? Because God has placed this church under those who were with Stephen and others at the time when this church was planted in the midst of Dundalk. This area. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a case they couldn't find anywhere else that was nice and wonderful down by the seaside to look across a wonderful place. They were placed in the midst of Dundalk. I like the seaside, by the way. Whenever the Apostle John writes those letters at the start, or rather God, he does the physical writing. The Lord gives him the words, of course. And he's talking about the seven churches at the beginning of the book of Revelation. One of them is to Pergamum. And the opening part or part of it in Pergamum, the Lord says to the people who live there, with all their faults and all their foibles, he says this, I know where you dwell. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Is that a mistake? Was Pergamum a mistake? No. The Lord Jesus Christ put a church there in the midst of darkness, in the midst of a perverse and twisted generation, right in the middle. I don't know if you've ever been up the north coast uh, of County Antrim, but when you come out of Portrush and you come round by Dunluce Castle, heading that direction, just before you get there, if you look to your left, you'll see the skerries, which are a little series of islands. And at the end of the skerries, there's this sort of a, the top of a, almost like a spire with a light on it. Now, we know what it's for. It's to, to guide people that they don't end up with the boat halfway up the skerries and be in major trouble. But when our children were small, we used to drive out that road quite a bit over the summer. And I would have said to them, you see that? It's the spire of a church. That's the spire of St. Codlings on the seabed. I think now they're only realizing that that's quite not true. <laughs> and the Ellis one's 30. <laughs> but as I thought about that, you know, if that was something like that, well, it's not, obviously. It would be totally irrelevant to where it is. The fish aren't spiritual. I know I'm being a bit silly with that illustration. 
Where does God plant his churches? Not the buildings, the people. Right in the midst. Right in the center. And he works through those. He's saying, I have a purpose and a plan for you as individuals. I have a purpose and a plan for this church that I will fulfill in your lives, not down the Einstein route, but down the Christ route. And the life that you have will be a life that others will watch or listen to on the radio in Dundalk and then go and see who are these people. And then they go and find that Jesus Christ is among them. And he has placed them at the center of life in Dundalk or wherever we happen to be at the time. You know, we have a wonderful precedent there, the way the Lord works. Because when you read about those seven churches, it's almost as if they're in a circle. And who is at the center? The living Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is Lord of all is at the center, radiating his light through the prisms of the churches into the world, that the world start to see life in technicolor when the gospel is shared and lived out among them. And that's exactly the same. And I believe Paul had that same mindset because they're both living and walking with God and his spirit is moving. And I place you in the midst. But who's with us? Lord Jesus Christ himself. But we live in that twisted generation. Warren Wearsby said, and we heard of it this morning when, I think it was you, Michael, who were sharing about the, the, the abortion situation in Florida. The world we live in today twists the sin to suit the culture. And Warren Wearsby hits on that. He says, we live in a world that will change everything to fit in the way it wants to go. Uh, and you can look at it in life, you'll see it on virtually every everything that's out there at the moment. I used to play a bit of golf with a, a guy, he's sort of retired from it now, but at one stage I think he, he drove over one of his golf clubs. Five iron, so he's this, this five iron golf club, if you know anything about that, and it's got a large bend in it, it didn't break. But being the skin flint that he is, he didn't throw it out and buy another one, he just kept using it. But he had to adapt his whole swing so that he could hit this bent five-iron golf club. I thought, is that what we do with sin? We shape the sin to fit our circumstances so that it works. Well, it doesn't work with God. It doesn't work with Christ on the cross. It doesn't work with the risen Lord who is Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. But it works in the world that we're living in. God has a purpose for this church. God has a purpose for us right in the center of where he has placed us in the midst of a perverse generation. And what does he tell us he wants us to do with that? Well, share truth. With this, we're, we're closing off today. There's so many other things we could say going through this passage right down, but look at verse 16. Leading in from 15, I said to you in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And then you get this little phrase, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to the word of life. Depending on the version you're reading, that might come out in 
two different ways. They're both right, by the way. The first thing is that we hold fast to Scripture. And Stephen, you will know that through our churches in the association and, and other churches as well, we are those who are becoming more marginalized. And one of the reasons for that is that we hold dear to this book. This book is God's Word. It's not a book that contains God's Word. It's not a book that has parts of God's Word or thoughts about God's Word that we can put into any perspective of life and interpret as we want it to do or change it to fit our circumstances. This is the Word of God. Psalm 19, Psalm 119, Romans 10, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The Bible itself is full of the Bible telling us what this book is. Don't mess with it. This is what the Lord said to Joshua. Don't change it. Don't let it go to the right of it. Follow it. Follow the Word. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Don't let it depart from where you're going. And as God has given to that, in His wonderful mercy, even though it has come through different translations, and still goes through translations, we have a couple in our church who are just back from Zambia, and they head up two teams in Bible translating. They're coming to the, the end of the New Testament. They're rejoicing about that. Another year and a half's work, hopefully we'll see a New Testament going out in two different tribal languages at least. God is still putting His Word forward. And in His goodness, He has protected His Word down through the years of the church. Now we've got to work at it. We've got to look at it. We've got to make sure that it is a good translation. But as originally given, God gave His Word. And Paul says here, I want you to hold fast to that. I want you to keep that close to yourself. Uh, back in, some of you will know this, I'm sure, um, going back to the early days of the, the Reformation, uh, a man called Martin Luther, he didn't know what the Reformation was because it wasn't there in his day. He, he was used to spring it, and then the words came after that. But he had this dual thing going on in his mind. He knew that the way the church of the day was going in his area in particular was, was not right. Something wasn't right. You can't buy forgiveness from God. And yet he had this other thing going on in his own mind, but how do I get right with God? How do I stand before a holy God? Right? This battle going on, a two-way battle, outside and inside. And reading the Word of God, he comes to realize that what he needs most is, is the righteousness of God. That state of being absolutely perfect before a holy God. And he can't do that, but God, under, he understands that God does that for him. And it's by faith. And as he has that, he finds that as he reads Scripture, the light comes on. The darkness dispels. Uh, I was listening to a chap called Craig Dyer last night. He heads up Christianity Explored Ministries, and I know Stephen will know Craig. And he just took a few verses from Psalm 27. And the first line of Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
And he says, that's written in a particular order. The Lord is my light. Because the first thing God has to do is to switch on the light of his word into the darkness of my life. And then salvation comes. And then we can walk with him and not be afraid. And the word of God is light. And it's a light first and foremost to the church. I know you will, and I encourage you to do so. Keep the Word of God central in everything you do, holding fast, firm to the Scriptures. But there's another side, another interpretation that works well with that as well. And it's not only holding it fast, it's holding it out. Faith comes by hearing. Faith to who? Faith to those who are lost. Light coming on. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We, we share it. Anybody remember, do you still get Quality Street sweets down here? You okay? Do you remember the original logo for Quality Street? Made for sharing. Made for sharing. And it's exactly the same. The Bible, I said reverently, has been made for us to share. That's why we can share a Bible verse with someone. Communicate it well, of course. We can share with children and young people. We can present God's Word and know that we can, in faith, actually walk away from that. Because it's not about us to change. It's, it's God's Word that will change. God's Word will switch the light on. God's Word will change the person. God's Word comes into the Christian's life and transforms our minds, our way of thinking. As you said, Michael, about the situation with the, the abortion, it's the hearts and minds that need to change. Pray for God's Word to penetrate, change mindsets after He brings people to faith in Himself. I'm going to stop uh, stop there. Living the Christ-centered life is what this church has been doing for 35 years, where God has placed it, where people can look and see what a Christian is. We're not perfect, but we're trying the best we can, humanly speaking, to walk with God. But there's something in us that resonates with those in darkness. We're those who have already bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ on this side of heaven, on this side of eternity. And we recognize him as Jesus Christ, the Lord. He has a plan and purpose for us and for you and Dundalk. And that plan is to go out there and continue to live in the midst, holding forth the Word of God as you hold fast the Word of God and never deviate from there. When Martin Luther put those things into action, he was one who promoted Scripture. Thousands have followed since. He's coming right back to the Word of God because the Word of God presents to us the person and the work and the uniqueness of God and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is Lord of Lords, supreme. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the faithful witness of this church over many years. Thank you for where you've placed this church. 
Thank you for the help you've given to this church. And Lord, we ask as they move into the future and as they move into a different chapter of their work here, Lord, that your word will penetrate the darkness. Christ will be heard. Christ will be seen. Christ will be known. He will be first. He will be last. He will be the all in all of this church. Lord, bless them. Bless us all, for we need to walk with you. Shine as stars in the dark world. Lord, we thank you that in all of these things, Christ Jesus is at the center. May we continue to live as churches and as individuals in Christ, that Christ-centered life, with your help and your grace. And in Jesus' name we pray.